Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode of Opera for Everyone, what are we listening to, Pat? Well, we have a bel canto treat in store today. This is Gaetano Donizetti's Anna Bolena. Ah, Donizetti, also of uh, Elixir of Love and our recent podcast, Yes. Daughter of the Regiment. That's right. And the other Donizetti we've done here on Opera for Everyone has been Roberto Devereaux. Oh, right. Which, which is was another one of the... Tudor Queen. The Tudor Queen's. Operas. So these were not composed as a trilogy, but there are three operas which are called the Tudor Queen operas. In fact, I've also heard them called the Bel Canto Ring Cycle. Ah, okay. I'm not sure that really fits, but I should name the three of them. The first of them is this one we're doing today, mm-hmm. Anna Bolena. There's Maria Stuarda, Mary Stuart. Oh, Queen of Scots. Yes, who was not a Tudor queen, of course, because she's a Stuart, definitively not a Tudor, but that's fine. Details. And then Roberto Devereux, who's, honestly, whose main character is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth the first. the first. So... Elizabeth I is the connecting thread of these three operas, although she's not a a singing character or really necessarily a character at all in this opera. She, of course, is the daughter of Anne Boleyn, Mm -hmm. and many stagings will show a small redheaded girl, a child. Oh, really? In fact, the the version of it that I watched online was heartbreaking because as her mother's dying, meeting her end... You see this little child just kind of looking confused Mm -hmm. in the machinations of the court. But that's the end of the show. I'm guessing we're not spoiling anything by saying Anna Boleyn dies. Well, this is probably one of the best known sort of historical queen stories of all time. It is, yes, because it is such a dramatic story. There's so much intrigue. I mean, think of even just in popular culture in the last 20 years what's been out there. I mean, Hilary Mantel's book, Wolf Hall, right. chronicles this history. It's a massive book, too. Well, it's three massive books. Oh, is it? I didn't realize Well, that. I mean, Wolf Hall is one book, but then she followed it up with others and won awards and very, very popular, made it into a miniseries. And then The Tudors, remember on Showtime? That was hugely popular. That was huge. There is also the show Rain, which focused on Mary, Queen of Scots. I never heard about that one. Mary Stuart. Mary Queen of Scots. Mm-hmm. They're, but they're all over the place and, and going way back. I mean, there are all kinds of like Betty Davis played Elizabeth at one point. I mean, it's just this is not new. Yeah, there's a there's a real stories. fascination. I mean, if if I know something about a person, a, an historical figure, they are definitely on the radar because I, as we've talked about many times, I don't tends to retain a ton of information about historical figures, but (laughs) I did read, I don't even remember the author, about Henry VIII, and it's fascinating. I mean, the whole, it was a a pivotal moment in Western history. Well, it's pivotal not just because of his marriages, of course, it's pivotal because... The Church of England and... Exactly, in his efforts to divorce or have annulled his uh, marriage to his first wife, Mm -hmm. Catherine of Aragon. Right. That's what ushers in Protestantism yeah, to Yeah, a whole new religion. Right. And Anne Boleyn is, is very much a piece of encouraging that. And there are a lot of other characters involved if you watch some of these other shows. Our opera, however... Getting back to the opera. ...does not concern itself with religion 
or the continuance of the dynasty, interestingly enough, which I would have thought it would. But it does not. Right, because that was a that was another big reason was because his well, first that was wife, the reason. Yeah, Catherine of Aragon couldn't give birth to a male heir and Right. The the, he, the daughter was Mary, mm-hmm. who becomes Mary the First later on, but it's believed that Henry's quest for a male heir, aside from his own interest in the ladies, mm-hmm. is what motivates this. It's it's very much a dynastic concern not really discussed in this opera either it's all about passions it's all really? about yes it's very romantic I yeah. mean, this is of the romantic era yeah well and also based on what i know which is limited um about this story i mean anne boleyn and henry's affair was rather passionate wasn't it i mean he was yeah but that's not this opera no okay this opera is at the end this opera is set in 1536 which is the year that Anne Boleyn dies. Meets her demise. So this is, Henry, when this opera opens, Henry has already fallen out of love with Anna Boleyn. Mm. And was on to, who is his third wife? Jane Seymour. Aha, who is also a character in this opera. A very major character, Giovanna. Giovanna, right. And Enrico. I'm afraid I'm going to have to use yes. the English names most of the time. So although, disclaimer. Although Anna and Anne, I may, I may go, go back a bit of both. Yeah. Right. But so Enrico, Enrico is Henry. Mm-hmm. Giovanna is Jane. Anna is Anne. Right. And what then, are missing? And then I think for the other characters, we pretty much use the English names. Right. Ricardo Percy. Yes, well, they will call him Ricardo a few times, right. but he's mostly called Percy, so that's it. So that works. In fact, this this choral piece that begins the opera is all the ladies and gentlemen of the court gathered around saying, oh, is the king going to come see her? Is the king going to visit her? Because everyone has noticed that the king is no longer attentive to his queen. Mm-hmm. And so, needless to say, he doesn't come. But it's, it's a way of letting you know. They tell you right up front, her star is setting now. Henry's fickle heart burns with another love. Now, of course, we know the other love is Giovanna, mm-hmm. Jane Seymour. Mm-hmm. And it is known that Jane Seymour, of course, was one of the ladies-in-waiting to the queen. Right, so they were ostensibly friends. Yes, I mean, the, the closeness of their friendship can be debated historically for the purposes of this opera, they're very good friends. Because mm-hmm. that sets up a lot more drama. A lot of drama. So, Giovanna, Jane, Jane, says, oh, the queen has asked for me. And she will she will tell us that she's in turmoil because she sees her dear friend, the queen, suffering. Because the queen knows it's a pretty bad thing to lose the favor of the king. Mm-hmm. Again, this is never mentioned. But we all know, because we know how the dynastic situation worked out in England that Anne has given birth to a child successfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Elizabeth. Elizabeth. The little girl Elizabeth. And but she's also had other unsuccessful pregnancies. Pregnancies. And so the only living child is Elizabeth. And Henry's like tick tick tick. I was married to Catherine, my first wife, for like twenty years. Yeah, quite a long time. Right before I gave up on her because she was reaching the end of her childbearing years. Mm -hmm. And now you looked promising, but you're not able to make it work. Mm -hmm. So he's getting upset with her and he set his sights on this other beautiful, young, modest girl. 
Anne Boleyn is known to history to be a very strong-willed woman. Yeah. And she believed fervently and truthfully, and, and Henry, you can debate, but she believed in the cause of Protestantism. So that was another support to his efforts. But I mean, I can't get into all the reasons why they broke with Catholicism, why he broke with Catholicism. The main thing was because he wanted to marry another woman, and he had the there are premise other... that their marriage was never true because... Catherine of Aragon was his brother's wife right. before his brother died. Right. A, a marriage which she claimed, and many people believe because they were the so older young. brother. Or and, he and was he, so young. And he was very sickly, Arthur, that it was never consummated, right. which is the grounds on which it, it was annulled and they were allowed to marry. Otherwise, not so cool to marry your brother's wife. Yeah. Widow. Right. Okay. So. Okay. But we digress. And there we could, there could be a lot of digressions and because there are, there are, I mean, historically you could say, oh, Henry loved the, the thought of getting a hold of the, the lands that the church owned, which he did. Right. And so it was very monetarily beneficial. Right. But none of that is in the opera. It's all about the passions the passion. and the loves and the friendships and the betrayals. So back to our story. In the opera, the court is concerned. We see Anna, we see Jane, and Jane is showing sympathy and support to Anna because she sees how distressed Anna is. I'm going to introduce one more character, Smeaton. Mm-hmm. Smeaton, historically, I mean, all of these people are, are actual historical figures, is a, a page of the musician, basically, mm-hmm. or the musician who is on call for Anna. And... Smeaton is going to sing a little ditty, and it's going to more or less match her mood. He says, Do not desire to constrain your face to feigned joy. Your sorrow is as lovely as your smile. And he's he's very much, feels like he's reading her thoughts, but trying to console her. Hmm. So a little bit of a spoiler here, but I think it's worth it. Smeaton is also in love with Anna. Ah, of course. A mere boy. And we should point out that Smeaton is a trouser role in this opera. Right. So played by a woman. Yes, a mezzo-soprano. A mezzo-soprano. All right. So shall we listen to that song, Pat? Let's do. Okay. If you have just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode of Opera for Everyone, we are listening to Anna Boleyn, the story of Anne Boleyn by... Composer Gaetano Donizetti. Bella and 
Well, that was Smeaton. 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 And it's... Who is smitten? Smeaton, who is smitten. Very good. <laughs> and uh, Anna, at some point, will just crack. She's like, no more. Stop. I can't take it anymore. Because it's, it's matching her mood a little too closely. Mm. And so she becomes mournful and sad. She remains mournful and sad. And she finally turns to all the people around her. She's queen, after all. Lots of people are always around her. And she says, forget it. The king's not coming. We should give up waiting. It's not going to happen. And Giovanna remains. Jane remains back with her, her lady-in-waiting. And Anna is going to tell Jane how she's feeling. And she's going to tell her how sad she is. And she's going to say, I swore my faith to him. He gave me a gift and now it's despised, meaning he put me on the throne. And she says, but if you allow, oh heaven, that I live here betrayed, take my life away from me or return my heart. So she's regretting her decision. To marry him. To marry Henry. Wow. Because she's fallen out of favor and she just feels anguish at this point Mm -hmm. and so Jane is listening to all this and being helpful and being supportive and I I have to ask the question like at this point is Jane already involved with Henry or do we very much so right very much so in fact so she's wearing two faces in fact we're going to I mean that is a heart of the drama of this show the relationship between these two women and Jane trying to balance her attachment both to Henry and to Anna. So let's hear a little bit of Anna sing, who we haven't heard sing yet. And we should mention that this is a historically important recording of this opera. 1957, and our soprano? Maria Callas. The great Maria Callas. And when we've talked about bel canto operas in the past on our show... We have mentioned, I think, pretty much every bel canto opera that bel canto fell out of favor in the second half of the 19th century. So it was mm. the dominant form of opera in the first half of the mm-hmm. 19th century with our three great bel canto composers Donizetti, Bellini, and Pepperoncini. Rossini. Rossini. And right. Rossini was, was dominant prior to the other two. Rossini is is no longer composing so much and it's Donizetti and Bellini who will take up the mantle and forge run. onto the scene right. right and and Donizetti is wildly popular remember when we did Daughter of the Regiment and he it premiered in Paris after all it's a French language opera mm-hmm. to begin with and who was it Berlioz who Equipped. One can no longer speak of the opera houses of Paris, just the opera houses of Monsieur Donizetti, ah. because he was so he became so dominant. That comment comes a little later than this. It is this opera, Anna Bolena, which many say sort of catapulted him into the international stardom status. Hmm. He'd been a successful composer prior to that in Italy, but it is with Anna Bolena that he becomes an international sensation. For example, it's the first of his operas to play in Paris. It's the first of his operas to play in London. Mm. So this is the one which really makes him international. Mm-hmm. And it is it and it is wildly popular from its premiere, which was 1830. Okay. 1830 for this one, 
the uh, Mary Stuarda will be 1835 and Roberta Devereaux 1837. And so this is 1830, it premiered in Milan. This recording, 1957, some will argue this is part of what helps bring bel canto back. This is recorded at La Scala with Marie Callas, mm-hmm. and it's a sensation. And yep. Maria Callas is not terribly old at the time that this is recorded. Right, because she died in 77, at, and she was in her 50s, so she was in her 30s. Yeah. Right. She was. It was powerful, and it was, it was a sensation. Mm-hmm. And it, Bel Canto was also helped along with other great divas. Bel Canto being that art form which some people describe as diva-driven. Well, and I always think of, like, jazz improvisation. And, like, there's a lot of room and a lot of desire for the performers to kind of do their own thing. It's true because of, of the repetition. But I have to say, if you watch this opera, you don't get the feeling of repetition as much as you do with some other bel cantos. Like, okay, I've heard this. We're just going to hear it a little differently. This one is plot heavy. You don't want to fall asleep during this one. Let's put it that way. No because opera naps? Miss, you, no, no opera naps during this one because there's so much going on and so many characters giving shades of meaning to what's going on that you don't want to miss a minute of it because you, uh, unlike with other operas, to be honest, they don't... Plot matters? Plot, there's a lot of plot here. There's a lot going on, these characters and how it affects what's going to happen Mm -hmm. in the very next scene. All right, so no snoozing opera for everyone, listeners. Not during this one. Not during this one. And speaking of getting to see this opera, can I tell you how I watched this opera recently? Yes. YouTube. Three cheers for music lover on YouTube. Yeah? Who put this up. It's a beautiful recording of Anna Netrebko mm-hmm. playing the title role, who was exquisite in And was opera. it at the Met? No, it's in Vienna. Really? So it's super fun when you... Because oftentimes when you watch operas on YouTube, you need to have your libretto in hand because there's no subtitles that right. an English speaker can read. Well, this one is... It's an HD. It's beautiful. And it's got... The subtitles in German, of course, because it's being performed in Vienna. But then it's also got English subtitles. Nice. So you can brush up on your German while you're listening to your Italian and you're understanding it in English. Seems like a triple threat. And the performers are magnificent. The well, acting. Trabko is lovely. She's lovely. And the supporting, you know, everyone else in the cast is amazing. It's Elena, it's Elena Grancha who plays Jane Seymour. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid I don't know the gentleman's name who played Henry, but he was magnificent. He was so good. That's a hard role to play, to be this king who's... Crazy, you know, kind oh, of. He's just, he's he's king. He He's regal and he wants his way and he's used to getting it. Mm-hmm. But I digress. So where are we in this plot? So Anna has listened to this song. She says, stop, it's enough. Everyone goes away, except... Jane. Jane. And now let's hear Anna singing to Jane where she confesses her her sadness and her regret, quite honestly. All right, so this is Maria Callas singing the title role of Anne Boleyn in Gaetano Donizetti's Anna Bolena. <laughs> Thank you. 
I love those older recordings where you can hear the audience. It's, I mean, the quality is never as good, but I love that. That What a performance. It's spectacular. All right. So we've heard from Anne's heart. Mm-hmm. And she basically just said, like, I'm so sad. My husband doesn't love me anymore. I wish I would have never married him because he's the king. And now I've fallen out of favor and my life is ruined. Well done. Yes. Okay. <laughs> is that what the lyrics said? Yeah, In a manner essentially, of speaking? Essentially. Exactly. And then Jane, her lady-in-waiting, mm-hmm. escorts her off. She's mm-hmm. going to bed. And Jane returns back to the stage. Jane will pour out her heart to herself. Right. But we're all watching. To the audience. And she's going to say things like, oh, will I be discovered? Yes. My friend remains ignorant that she has embraced a serpent. If only I could have prevented this from happening. My fate is sealed. Mm. So she knows that she's it's a mess. She's betrayed her. And she doesn't really feel like she's got any ability to get out of this mess or to make things right. Because mm-hmm. after all... He's the king. The king is involved. Speaking of the king, there's a knock at the door. Knock, knock. Who's there? And Henry. He- <laughs> and Henry comes in. And he's... He's passionate for her. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, girl. <laughs> exactly. And she's she's in this mood where she's just seeing her friend basically dissolving into nothingness. Mm-hmm. And, and then the king comes in and goes, I need a male heir. Let's get it on. It, well, he doesn't say that. Again, the, the issue of the heirs are not discussed. But she is just, I mean, they're not, yeah, they're not together in the same emotional sphere. To say the least. And Jane says, we need to end this. We, we need, and this is not what Henry wants to hear. Well, I was all. just, you know, like, do you say that to Henry VIII? She does. She says, we need to end this because it's not right. Henry's like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm the, the king. king. Exactly. And he says, heaven and earth must know that I love you. He proclaims in his gorgeous bass voice. And she says, no, it's no good. Because what I need, I need love and I need honor. And I'm afraid with you, sire, I cannot have my good name. I cannot have honor. Mm-hmm. And he's close to enraged, I would say, because his point is, what do you mean? Being the wife of the king? That will bring you honor, of course, because I'm my, the king. he literally says, my splendor will pour out onto you. You? <laughs> Let's listen to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Beloved, 
If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to the opera Anna Bolena by Gaetano Donizetti. And we've just heard from King Henry, Enrico. Yes, King Henry. And what was he talking about, Pat? Well, he's he's talking with Jane, the woman who... He's in love with. Desperately in love with and intends to marry and thereby bring honor to her because she feels she's an impossible situation. It can't go well for her friend, mm-hmm. Queen Anne, mm-hmm. if she's in love with Queen Anne's husband. Right. And she's a lady-in-waiting and they're friends. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, that that's certainly a close friendship is how it's depicted here in the opera. And Henry, that last bit we hear him sing, says... Ah, uh, yes, something about the Aragonese, about his first wife. Right, Catherine of Aragon, mm-hmm. who was his first wife. Mm-hmm. Mother of Mary, Mary, becomes Mary the first. But he will say, well, you love me. And she acknowledges that she loves him. And he said, well, you know... Anne loved me too, but she also coveted the crown of the lofty lady of Aragon, referring to his first wife. Mm-hmm. Because Anne was not nearly, did not show the kind of remorse that we're seeing here with Jane Seymour at any rate. Yeah. Jane Seymour, historically speaking, the general understanding is that she was a much meeker character than Anne Boleyn. Well, Anne Boleyn was a lot more headstrong. So Henry's trying to convince her Anne was really not a good woman. Basically, don't worry about Anne. She didn't deserve to be on the throne of England. Mm-hmm. Her, her motives were not pure. Yours are pure. You love me. Right. So you, it's, it'll be okay for you. Don't worry about it. She's not entirely convinced. But, but the problem is she, in this opera, she's expressing she her love for him. Yeah. Yeah. She said, I didn't offer my heart to you to cause offense to anyone, to hurt anyone. You took it from me, King. You took my heart. You must give it back now. So she's still saying we need to call this off. And he's like, no, you can't call it off. I've prepared an altar and you are going to be married to me. Here's a scepter, a throne, and it will be yours shortly. He said, besides, besides Anne coveting the throne, she was not true to me. She deceived me. She married me with a lie behind her. Which was what? Well, that's about to be introduced to us. Shall we meet two more characters? Yes. Amico del riconcello e al suo passaggio friremi, fria che il ciel tramonti, è mio consiglio. Dopo si lungo esilio, respirare. 
Carla Laurantica e il ciel natio ad ogni cuore dolce amaro al mio caro per sé muta quel cuore non fa così e a raffigiarti pronto io non fossi All right, so who were those two mysterious gentlemen? Well, the bass mm-hmm. is Rochefort, mm-hmm. or we might know him as George, brother of Anne Boleyn. Oh, right. Okay. Right, so her brother is a courtier mm-hmm. hanging around the court, and he is the one who first sings and says, Who's this? Who do I see in England? Is that you, my friend Percy? And Percy is the tenor that we heard. Right, and he's... What is his role? Well, we don't know yet. Well, we might know, if you know who Percy is at the story. But Percy is clearly an old friend of Rochefort. Clearly, Rochefort thinks he's been exiled, but he's returned to England. And Percy is very quickly going to ask about Anne. How is Anne doing? And Rochefort, rather matter-of-factly, says, well, you know, she's queen. That's what she wanted. Ah. And he says, but but is she happy? And Rochefort says, does happiness ever last? Right. Because we all know she's not happy. Mm-hmm. She's not happy at all. And right here, Percy is going to sing a lovely little piece where he tells us how he feels about Anne. Is Percy smitten? With Anne, very much so. And do you remember your question from before we introduced these two gentlemen? Who are they? Why did Henry say that Anne had deceived him? Oh. Percy's a big part of that. Aha. All right, let's hear from Percy. Thank you. 
All right, so that was Richard Percy talking about his affection for Queen Anne. He's just pouring out his heart. Poor little lovesick Percy. He's going to say, from the day that I lost her, I turned to despair. So he's exiled. He's forced away from the woman he loves, mm-hmm. Anne. And he says, and every, you may have heard Tomba a few times there. Separated from, I separated myself from the living. Every land on which I came to rest seemed like a tomb to me. Mm-hmm. So now he's back in England. And Rochefort is like, my friend, this is not going to end well for you mm-hmm. to return to England with the Queen and Henry. Especially being, if you're still in love with her. Exactly. And he says, but I'm following my destiny and I will vindicate my sufferings. Later on, he's going to tell us that the king actually invited him to come to England, that he no longer needs to be exiled. In fact, he wants him at the court. Ah, because this is part of Henry's plot. Well, we know that, but he doesn't exactly know what's going on. And he's just so excited to get to see Anne again Mm -hmm. because he loves her. And by the way, that's what Henry was referring to. In the deception. When he was talking to Jane, like that she... She didn't, she was not true to me, he says mm-hmm. to her. And it's all about Percy. Right. Okay, we'll, so Percy. We'll learn more about Percy as this goes on. Percy's in love. Rochefort's like, uh, you're, that's kind of a bad idea. And Percy's like, it's okay. This is my destiny. And then what happens? Well, he's intending to go out and go hunting with the king. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go out with the man that is married to the woman that I love and have weapons at the ready. Okay, you you could look at it that way. But Anne is going to show up. Ooh. Looking gorgeous. Anne is going to show up and Henry's going to greet her. Because remember, she hasn't seen her husband in quite a while. Because it's the tradition that the husband comes to greet her. But because she hasn't seen him, she goes to find him before he goes off on his hunting party. So this is the first we get to see the king and the queen interacting with each other. And it sounds like it's probably not going to go well. It's, the whole court is there watching. Everyone is around. So it's, it's going to go. Okay. It's going to go okay. And Henry's just going to say, oh, I just haven't come to see you because there's a lot of. Yeah, I've been busy. State business. Had a lot of emails that I had to respond to. Something like that. I was that. catching up on my social media, posting things on Facebook about my trip. And she's going right, exactly. <laughs> and she's going to see Percy is there and be a little stunned. Stunned. And Percy's going to explain that the king, in fact, invited him back and that he wants him to stay in the court. And Percy's like, no, I should really just retire to the countryside. And he's like, uh, no, I'd, I'd like to have you around where I can see you. I'm really scared. Well, you should be scared <laughs> if you know how this ends. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess at this point, Henry hasn't cut off anybody's head yet, not right? Not yet, not yet. So maybe they don't know that that's well, a possibility or, I mean, I don't know. Well, let's carry on. Okay. And when she greets Percy, she's going to have a very strong response to having touched him. And she's going to sing a song where she says, I felt his tear flow on my hand. When he reaches out to greet her with a kiss of the hand, as one does to a regal lady. That's so sad. And we're going to listen to this one. 
just tuned in you're listening to opera for everyone on 89.1 khol and this is donizetti's anna and we've just heard i guess uh everyone yeah everyone <laughs> anne boleyn king henry percy rochefort rochefort so she starts out by the way if you read the libretto it's all in parentheses so it's what she's saying to herself mm-hmm. got a little bit of that going on with anna and with percy but she's saying i felt his his tear and it rekindled that fire in my breast. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. And Henry is, it's kind of one of those things where he's like, yes, the plan is working. Right, he's like setting things in motion. Yes, and he will he will tell us that. He will tell us. And like, because everybody's singing and they're all having their own thoughts and you can hear it. And even the chorus is, is helping out, you heard in that song. But Henry will refer to Percy when he says, to you awaits the task of ensuring that the grand design is not in vain. Meanwhile, you'll have Rochefort, Anne's brother, saying, what are you doing, you madmen? Everyone is watching you. Don't. 
do this. So we feel the tension rising as we're worried for Anne and like, what is Henry going to do? Mm-hmm. It's, it's powerful. And, and the Percy's music, just a pawn. Percy's a pawn and he falls right into it. And I think this is one of those songs where opera does what opera does, mm-hmm. where you're getting all these different feelings and emotions, but you're getting this beautiful blending of it and the music is exquisite. Right, because if you tried to do that in film, for example, it would just be people talking over each other and you wouldn't get that same sense of emotion. Yes, yes. no, it's this is what opera does, mm-hmm. or op- what opera can do. Mm-hmm. All right, and so now it's time to go on the hunt. Oh, right, yeah. I love this choral piece, so we're going to listen to it. Because you do love a good chorus, Pat. I do love a good chorus, and I think you're going to love this one, too. about going hunting well the, the chorus is singing may this day which dawned with such happy and lucky auspices shine and be crowned with even happier successes so they're all just cheerful and happy you heard a little bit of solo going on in and amongst the chorus mm-hmm. and that's Anna and Percy both saying how oh, may there not be trouble for me by the time that the day ends mm-hmm. not so sure that's going to happen And Henry says to himself, May a friendly fate guide another prey into my nets. Mm. Creepy. Yeah, he's, well, he's got a plan. Right. And he's king. We have a change of scene. We're in Anna's private apartments. And I'm just going to talk us through this. We have our Smeaton, our page musician. Who's smitten with Anne. Smeaton. He's going to sing to us about his love and affection for Anna. And in the process of singing about it, he's going to pull 
out of his tunic on a chain a little miniature a picture of Anna that he has taken from her rooms to keep it next to his heart really and he's going to sing to it and then he's going to hear noises and sounds and and he's going to get scared and he's going to go hide behind the curtains and and you know sort of drop his little locket back down his shirt and in will come Anna and her brother Rochefort and he's hiding well because he's not supposed to be in her apartments alone but Rochefort is counseling Anna you need to be careful my sister this is serious right you're on a precipice you need to be very careful if and even that might not save you and Anna is starting to get scared but she's so excited to see Percy again so she's got a lot of conflicting emotions going on well I can imagine if she's like feeling like she's her husband doesn't love her anymore and she made this horrible mistake and then she sees this guy that she used to love that would be very difficult to not sort of latch on to if you're feeling very sad right and of course behind the curtains Smeaton's overhearing all of this thinking I wish I could just leave but he can't yikes and in comes Percy to see Anna oh gosh so now it's Percy Rochefort and and then Smeaton who's hiding that's right okay but they're sounds great. beginning to, you can see the, the, the old sparks exist mm-hmm. between Anna and Percy, who we could point out in operatic convention are soprano and are tenor. Right. Ill-fated though may, they may be. Mm-hmm. And Percy offers forgiveness to Anna because she feels so badly. She basically brushed him aside. When she had a chance to be queen. Right, when she had a chance to be queen. She's mm-hmm. like, okay, you got to forget that you ever heard my name. Right. Disappear, be gone, because I'm everyone knows be we were childhood friends, but no one needs to know anything more. Right. And so you can imagine that wounded Percy pretty severely. Yeah. But he's still in love with her. Right. And he's offering his pardon to her. So it's it's truly them making up with each other. And as they are getting closer to each other, our friend Smeaton, who's hiding behind the curtains, can't stand it anymore because he loves Anne. So he bursts out from the curtains. Oh, that sounds like a really bad idea. (laughs) Doesn't it, though? And Percy and Smeaton are having to confront one another at this point over their love of Anne. And all of a sudden, Anna shouts, the king is coming! And Henry bursts in. And there they are. All four of them. In her rooms. Sounds very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And he's he's shocked to see swords drawn in his palace in anger. And he's looking around, trying to figure out what is next. What the heck is going on? He says, what misdeed is taking place here? My whole kingdom is witness that she, pointing at Anna, she has betrayed the king. Oh, no. So it's it's terrible. And they all realize how terrible it is. And Smeaton gathers up his courage and goes over to the king and says, no, she's done nothing wrong. And you can kill me if, if that's not true. And to be brave, he pulls open his tunic to offer oh. his breast. And what's on his 
chest, of the course. locket, the locket, bad idea. And the king sees the locket of his wife. He's like, what the heck? So yeah, Smeaton, not for the first time, makes an error in judgment. Is there at least some comedic relief here? Uh, I wouldn't call it comedy. No. no, no, okay. No, I mean, it sounds funny, potentially. No, it's not. There's no comedic relief. If this were Mozart, it would be hilarious. Right. <laughs> this is not Mozart. This is <laughs> this is drama, drama, drama. Right, okay. Totally dramatic. So Smeaton's fate is sealed. So, well, and also Percy is found there, and they're all just, and... and they Rochefort, all have their hands in the cookie jar. Rochefort knows that this is bad also. And the king is essentially... Gleeful. Yeah, but he's acting mad and indignant that this all could possibly be happening. And basically says to them all, it would be better if you were all just dead at this point. That's what he says? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Rochefort and Smeaton will sing that, will repeat his line essentially, it would be better for me now if I could die. And Henry ultimately turns to his guards and says, take them all to solitary confinement. Arrest them all. Wow. Them Including, in what, what, what really did Rushford do? He's just accessory to a crime. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, I mean, historically speaking, he was also implicated as being a lover of Anna's. His own sister. Right. And it's interesting. One of the things I read recently argued because she of course was frantic it's again not addressed in the opera but in historically speaking she was frantic to produce a male heir because if she could have been the mother of sons her place would be secured forever right and who's to say that she's the problem maybe henry's the problem Mm. and the thing that i read which kind of made me because i always dismissed you know her brother is executed on the grounds of incestuous relations with his sister, which sounds horrifying and absurd, but there is the theory that who's safer to help you produce an heir than someone who, if the baby turns out to look like the father, lots of people look like their aunts and uncles, right? Right. That's perfectly normal. So when I first read that, I I suddenly reevaluated my own view of the fact that Henry was just executing everyone who would potentially cause trouble. And I'm thinking, you know, if you were Anne... You might want to do that, maybe. It's kind of an interesting theory, isn't it? Well, but he did have a male child. Well, he had one with Anne's sister. Right, the... I forget what her name is. Mary. Was. Mary, yeah. Mary Boleyn. Yes, but but not legitimate. Right, but it does, I mean, so, you know, is the problem Henry... I, well, I guess you never know. You never know. Well, and ultimately he will have a, a, a son who becomes king with Jane Seymour. Oh, really? I Mm -hmm. forgot about that. Edward VI. But he's young and sickly, and he does not live very long. He dies, right. And so is that how Mary became queen? Exactly. After Edward died. That's how Mary I. And then Mary died, and then Elizabeth became queen. And she managed to reign forever. A very long time. Right. Okay, so take everybody to solitary confinement. Take everyone to solitary confinement. And he explains that Anna will have to face the judges. Anna is beside herself because of the public shame that means where she has to be tried. And we're going to hear Jane in the chorus say, oh, her death is marked. And Anna points out what's pretty obvious, but she points it out, that my fate is sealed because the one who accuses me is the one who condemns me. Mm -hmm. I will succumb to the power of such tyrannical law. But after my death, I will one day be absolved. 
a little bit of reference to this very opera, which is very sympathetic to Anne Boleyn. Right. So we go on with all of the folks on stage singing these sentiments. My fate is sealed. Percy will say that. Rochefort will say that. Smeaton will say that. Even Jane will say that because she knows things ultimately will not go well for her, Mm -hmm. though she doesn't quite know how. She just feels it because she's got a moral compass and feels like she's (laughs) doing the wrong thing. That's right. And the chorus is going to end by saying, ah, by how many adverse fates has the English throne been afflicted? A more deadly one has not descended on it than that which has broken forth here. Innocence has death here that was plotted by sin. Strong words. All right, so we're going to go out for the first act and also the first half of today's episode on Judges for Anna. Yeah. opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, and me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode.
Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Anna Bolena by composer Gaetano Donizetti. And this brings us to the Opera Helmet Quiz, where Keely recaps the plot of the first half. And it's quite a plot. Plot happens, Pat. Okay, so this is the infamous story of Anne Boleyn, Queen of England, second wife of Henry VIII. And we are set in England in sort of 1536. Yes. The opera itself premiered in Milan in 1830, written by Donizetti. And this was the first of the three Tudor Queen operas by Donizetti. The second being, um, mm-hmm, and the third one being... Mary Stewart. Mary Stewart. And the third one being uh, Richard Devereux, Ricardo Devereux. Roberto. Roberto Devereux, which was based on the life of Elizabeth I. And Roberto Devereux was her lover. Interestingly, the, I'm j- I just put this together. That one is the end of Elizabeth's life, just as this one is the end of Anne Boleyn's life. Ah, I wonder about the Mary Queen of Scots one. We're going to have to do that Yeah, next. I guess we'll have to do that next. Okay, so the first of the three Tudor Queen operas by Donizetti, and sometimes those are referred to as Donizetti's Queens. Yeah, the Tudor Queens. The Tudor Queens. And we are, as you just said, Pat, at the end of Anne Boleyn's reign and also the end of her life where she has fallen out of favor with Henry. Henry has become enamored with Jane Seymour, who is Anne's lady-in-waiting. And we have learned that Jane is also in love with Henry and is very conflicted about that because she does have a moral compass and feels like that's the wrong thing to do. And she tries to break it off with Henry and Henry says, no, wait a minute, this is already happening. You're going to be queen. You'll be noble and your honor will be restored or whatever. You think it's not great, but my splendor will wash over you and you will be glorious like me. So quit your crying and get ready to get married because it's going to happen. And so Henry, as he's trying to convince her, says one of the things that Anne did wrong is she wasn't completely honest with me. She wasn't completely virtuous. She did love me, but she really wanted to be queen too. And she deceived me because she didn't tell me about this guy that she was in love with when we decided to get married or whatever. Um, So fast forward to Percy's arrival, Richard Percy, and he's hanging out with uh, Rochefort, who is Anne Boleyn's brother. And they're talking and Rochefort is saying, Percy, this is a really bad idea that you're here. And Percy's like, no, it's gonna be great. This is my destiny. I love Anne. I'm just so excited that I'm back in England after my exile. And then he arrives at court And it becomes clear that Henry wants him there and has invited him there. And everybody's going to go hunting. And at this point, Anne and Henry haven't seen each other for a while because he was traveling and then he never came to visit her. And so that was... Because he really has no interest to come to her in the evenings any longer. Yeah, he doesn't want to see her. And so... Which, by the way, doesn't help with the whole needing to produce an heir thing, but... Right. (laughs) But he's busy with something else. Yeah. So then Anne knows that he's going to be leaving soon to go on this hunting trip. So she wants to see him. So going against protocol, she shows up and says like, hey, Henry, oh my gosh, Percy, what are you doing here? And so then then Percy is there and 
Anne is there and Henry's there and Henry's kind of licking his chops and pretending to be like to not know at that point right about the alleged affair between Percy and Anne prior to him being married to Anne and then they're like yay we're all gonna go hunting the chorus sings this great song we're all gonna be happy hope today goes great and then at the same time Percy and Anne are singing oh my gosh this is gonna be a really difficult day I hope it doesn't go badly and Henry's sort of saying like I've laid my plans I've laid my trap and then cut to Anne's apartment where Smeaton is creeping around where he shouldn't be because he's kind of young and silly and in love with Anne. And then he pulls out this locket that he has um, a picture of her in it that he's taken from her apartment. It's a miniature painting, of course. A miniature painting, okay. Not a Polaroid, because those weren't (laughs) invented. And so then as he's swanning around in her private apartments where he's not supposed to be, he hears someone approaching, and it's Anne and her brother. And so he hides, and then Anne and her brother are talking about what a bad idea this is and how things are really bad. And then in comes Percy, and so things get even weirder. And then Smeaton's still hiding and listening to all of this, and then he decides that he can't handle it anymore because he's in love with Anne, and clearly Percy's in love with Anne. And he jumps out and challenges Percy to a duel, and their, like, swords are drawn. And then Henry comes in, and he's pretending to be enraged, but really he's absolutely thrilled that this is happening and he's like what are you guys doing you're fighting and swords and whatnot and then he says you guys are all in trouble everybody's going to solitary confinement and that's the end of act two yeah and it's worth mentioning that Anne very clearly knows she doesn't stand a chance there's going to be a trial so she sings this song that her fate is sealed because the person who has accused her is also the person who has condemned her to death. Right. No one's going to go against the king's wishes, and she knows it. Right. And so Percy and Rushart and Smeaton are also kind of singing the same thing, like, we're done for. Right. And even Jane knows that this is all very bad. Right. And then she says, oh, my fate is sealed too, because this is what Henry wants. That's and what right. Henry wants, Henry gets. Well, well done. Good good recap. And okay. it's a plot-heavy first act. It is. Yeah. There's a lot going on. So the second act opens. We just heard a little bit of that female chorus. They are saying, Queen, we are we are with you. Others have withdrawn from you. Others no longer support you. But we, your ladies, we, we support you. We adore you. You poor unhappy thing. And Anna is lamenting her fate. In walks Hervé. Hervé. He is the court official. He's the sort of the one throughout the administrator he's the one throughout who represents the the workings of of the of henry's court and he says queen sorry but it's my duty and i have to let you know you've been convicted and anna is upset but she gathers her dignity because that's all she's looking for at this point she knows she's not going to make it out of this she says well i must bow my head to the royal will And then she looks at everyone, but you are all witnesses to my innocence, dear friends. So everyone leaves, and Anna and Jane remain. And now we get this fabulous scene between Anna and Jane. And we're just going to listen to quite a bit of it all together. Because in this exchange between Anna and Jane, 
Anna begins by taking the lead, talking about her fate and essentially wondering who is this woman who Henry is so infatuated with that he's willing to execute, set up this trap and execute his queen. Who could this person be? And you just know that Jane is turning inside out as she's hearing these words. Right. She, it's, it's hard for her to take. Well, the exchange will continue on. Jane will tell Anna, the trap is laid and you are lost. Anything that the king wants, the king is, is going to get. You know that he's going to get his way. And Jane will say, confessing your guilt will unbind you and rescue you from death. And Anna kind of snaps around. She's like, what are you telling me to do? She says, well, if you tell him you're guilty of being unfaithful to him, then he can have grounds for a divorce, which he can now grant, of course, being the head of the church. church. Mm -hmm. She says, if you tell him you're guilty, you can get a divorce as opposed to trying to fight it where you're going to be condemned to death for disobeying the king. Now, honestly, I think that's a little bit of wishful thinking on Anne's part. I don't think that it's historically accurate, but that's part of the... On Anne's part or on Jane's part? Honestly, I think it's a little wishful thinking on Jane's part that she can get Anna out of this by just having Anna confess. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually think it's historically accurate that she would have been okay, even if she had confessed. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, you know, once you... I mean, that's like treason, essentially, to be unfaithful to the king because you're imperiling the line of succession right but that's part of the drama Mm -hmm. and anna is offended to the extreme her honor is all she has left she believes she she doesn't want to dishonor herself this is going to continue between the two of them and jane says the wretched woman who henry has destined for the throne implores you and we all kind of go has she just told her But Anna doesn't hear it that way. Anna goes, you know who this woman is? Who is she? And she starts hurling curses and saying, I want this woman's vile heart to be tortured like mine is. Let the crown which she has coveted for her head be one of thorns. Let watchfulness and suspicion lie on the pillow of the royal bed. Let a menacing specter Arise between her and her husband, the king, and let the axe, which is assigned to me, more cruelly deny her the king. So Anna doesn't realize she's cursing her good friend. Right. But Jane, of course, does realize it. And ultimately, Jane, essentially groveling at the feet of Anna, says, I'm so sorry, dear friend. He's in love with me. I'm that woman. She tells her. Any guess what Anne's response will be? Rage. No. Pity. Really? pity and she essentially takes back her curses wow. or says she does she because she sees the remorse and regret and essentially she says oh he's a, you know basically sisterly bonding he's a snake that henry he's horrible yeah look at the position he's put you in mm-hmm. because it's clear just as we saw when just jane was with henry she's in agony over the whole thing and wants to retreat but henry won't let her and anna kind of gets it right and anna offers her a pardon you have the pardon of Bolin, and now I ask for your pardon from God, and it will be granted to you. In this farewell, there remains to you my love and my pity. And Jane is surprised and beside herself. Essentially, she says, thank you, but I'm going to be punished anyway. There's a great God that awaits me who will punish this sinner. So Jane is not entirely relieved by Anna's pardon because she still feels the burden Mm -hmm. of sin, or at least as is depicted here. We need to listen to those songs. Okay. 
If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are listening to Anna Bolena by Gaetano Donizetti. Thank you. 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and on today's episode, we are listening to Gaetano Donizetti's Anna Bolena, and we have just heard from Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, and they are really hashing it out about their fates. Yes. Which are intertwined because Anne is about to be executed by her husband, Henry VIII, and Jane Seymour is fated to become the next Queen of England. That's right. The next scene will have all the courtiers gathered together and anxiously awaiting more information. And they've heard that Smeaton's been the one before the tribunal. And they're like, oh no, that boy. Has he accidentally said something terrible about Anna? Turns out he has. Well, so he was like the witness or like that's who they called to... Hervey says that he confessed to a crime which makes one tremble and blush. She is lost. Wait, what? They tricked him. Ah. The little innocent. Okay. They tricked him. So then what happened? And by the way, and it becomes clear even in most productions of this, he's been tortured. Ah. I mean, that's right standard practice at this point in time. Hervey says, yes, Smeaton fell into the trap when he's talking to Henry. And Henry is pleased that his plan is working out as he wished. And Anna comes in. And she wants a word with Henry. She tells him, listen, Henry, you can kill me, slay me, but please don't exhibit me. This is not befitting a queen. She says, don't don't subject me to this shame of judgment. Please ensure that my royal name is respected. Yeah, he's not going to do that. No, well, he has to, he has to make it appear to be just the law. Right. That she's committed treason by being unfaithful to him, and she must die for committing treason. Percy, who's also been brought in, doesn't take this very well. Percy says, soon I will speak before a tribunal more holy and more terrible than yours, King. So they've both gotten there. They know they're dead, so they might as well speak their minds. Sure. He says, and by that I swear, I swear I did not offend you and that she drove me away, and she burnt with indignation against my impudent hopes. So Percy's trying to exonerate her. Mm-hmm. Yes, we were friends. Yes, there was an expectation. But she pushed me away mm-hmm. in favor of you. Right. So she didn't really do anything wrong. Right. But Henry just says, well, she made a page worthy of her love. How could any of what you say even matter? Mm. And Anne is just like, I'm not going to take this anymore. I claim my dignity back. And this is spectacular to see. This is why you need a true diva to play this role. I decry you, sire. You are a seducer. And Henry's a little upset. Upset with any pushback that he receives. Anna says, my crime is to have thought it a supreme happiness to be the king's consort. That's where I went wrong. And Henry's just like, oh, it does none of this matters. You all are going to die anyway. What can save you from death? And Percy lets him know, well, justice can... But does Percy really think that he's no. going to... No, he's just he's just saying, he's just, if there was justice, we wouldn't be condemned to death. Right, I see, okay. And Anna screams, justice. <laughs> justice is silent in the court of Henry. Yeah, so she's pretty... She's, yeah, she's up in his face. Yeah, she knows that she doesn't... It doesn't matter what she says at this point. That's right. And Percy, who's furious, blurts out, well, you know... Anna and I were betrothed. And Henry's like, betrothed? So you know about betrothal, right? Yes. Like promised in marriage. 
Right. Stronger than even our understanding of the word engagement. Because in our culture, if you break off an engagement, no big deal. Right. But a betrothal is more like a contract, and you Mm. can't just break it. Like a contract between humans or a contract in front of God? No, for for the world, for people. Because it's it's assumed you're as good as man and wife with a betrothal, unless there is a, a lot of public extricating from it. So the betrothal, like the fact that they were betrothed is a huge deal. And Percy says, I take back my rights. I want her returned to me. Oh, wow. Well, you know how well that's going to go. Yeah. (laughs) But Anna is quite touched by this because she kicked him to the curb, essentially. And she's like, don't tell anyone about this betrothal because otherwise I won't get to be queen. So she was very ambitious for for the throne to be married to the king. Yeah. But it didn't work out so well for her. Okay, so Percy and Anne are both thrown down because they know that it doesn't matter what they say. They're challenging Henry, telling him he's a jerk. And Percy is going to sing this lovely song, which you kind of think, how does the king manage to stand by while he's doing this? But he does, because it's opera. And he says, from your most tender years, you are mine, you know it. You betrayed me. Wretch that I am, I loved you, even though unfaithful. As he betrayed me, he has betrayed you. He takes your honor and your life. I open my arms to you and wish to return your life and honor. Wow. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and we are listening to Anne Boleyn by Gaetano Donizetti. And we've just heard from Anne and Percy regarding their ill-fated love. And they're, they're basically proclaiming their love to one another publicly and reuniting with each other, more or less, in these last hours of their lives. And... Anna is going to say, perish the day when as a traitor I left you for that cruel man. Righteous heaven has punished me for that betrayed faith. I found nothing on the throne other than anguish and horror. Wow. Yeah, a little bit of regret there. And Henry, by the way, is observing all of this. Yeah, he's just listening. And he's like, yep, their conspiracy is clear enough. It's not going to work out for you two. Not well at all. And he's going to turn to them and he's going to say, You horrible people, your own deceit will fall on your hated heads. On the throne of England, another lady will sit. She will be more worthy of affection. 
and your name will be abhorred. And Anna and Percy say, may another woman never learn how deadly, how deadly your gift is. So they're just joining forces against him. And also a bit of foreshadowing. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, you know the old expression for Henry's wives, to keep track of how they met their ends? Because we we all know that he had six, right? Right. So have you heard the little ditty, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived? Or in this case, divorced means annulled, but same thing. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. He divorced Catherine of Aragon. Mm -hmm. He beheaded beheaded Anne Boleyn. And Jane Seymour, by that little ditty, tells you she died. She died shortly after giving birth. That's what I thought. I was going to say she died in childbirth, but it was shortly. The child survived. As a a result of childbirth, she died. And then the next... The next wife, he annulled that marriage. The next one... Beheaded. Was beheaded. And the final one, Catherine Parr, she survived. And she's an interesting character, too, because she actually had Henry fix the laws so that all of his children, surviving children, just three of them, right? Mary, Anne, and Henry, Mm -hmm. by the first three wives, she fixed it so that they would all be declared legitimate. Because as... As they went through the different wives, for instance, when Anne Boleyn was married and she had a child, it was very important to her that the prior wife's child was declared to be illegitimate. Because after all, if you've annulled a marriage, that right. that child can't be legitimate. So it got kind of messy. But his last wife encouraged, I mean, it wasn't her doing, but she encouraged him to see that as a wise, and, and so it was. Right, for the As a wise choice for the country. the dynasty. That's right. Um, so... That's part of why Elizabeth gets to be Elizabeth. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so right. Jane Seymour. So Henry says, well, it doesn't matter. She was the wife of Henry Percy before she was that of Henry. And that's how he views betrothal. And that, that's a pretty common view of betrothal in this day and age. And the Boleyns, all of them tried to keep that quiet. And Percy went along with it. And meanwhile, Jane is suffering. And we're going to hear her sing a little bit about... Her suffering. She's going to say, Ah, think that heaven and earth have their eyes turned on you since every heart has its faults. It is a duty to have mercy on others. Let Henry listen to pity, though the king is pushed to severity. So as she's dying inside with her guilt, she is echoing what some in the chorus are saying. All right, if they've been convicted, the only way to save them is clemency from the king. Mm-hmm. You need to show mercy. And you know he's not going to do it, but he pretends to be thinking about it. So she essentially gets down and begs him to show mercy to, to show mercy to these people who are condemned.
Yeah, that was a pretty impressive aria for a mezzo-soprano. Very impressive. And is this considered a pretty meaty role for a mezzo? Yes, they, um, it is said that these are punishing roles. These are difficult operas oh, to really? sing. Very difficult. Yeah, well, you can hear underneath as we're talking, the crowd is still... Yeah, they appreciate the work. Right. It's amazing. So Jane has pleaded the case of clemency for the two accused. And are we led to believe that Henry may be, in fact, listening to her? Or is it just pretty clear that... No. No. He yeah. wants what he wants. Yeah, he's, he's going to kill him. He's got his heart set on Jane. And the only way to do that is to get rid of Anne. Right. And all the... You can't get rid of Anne without getting rid of the others. Right. Otherwise, the case doesn't hold up. So new scene. Mm-hmm. We see Percy and Rochefort who are in prison. And Percy will say, what, Rochefort, are you condemned to death as well? What? What's your crime? You're innocent. He says, my crime is being the brother of Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I deserve to fall. I was goaded by blind ambition as well. I encouraged her to marry him. Mm-hmm. It's my fault. And Percy offers friendship and mercy. So there's a real theme here. The, the good people are the ones who forgive and show mercy. Right. And well, the, ba- the baddie here is the base, our king. Our king. And he's not, and he doesn't show mercy. And no. he doesn't give clemency. Now this is interesting. Not historical, but interesting for the drama of the opera. Hervé comes in and says, oh, I have good news for you two. The king has granted you both clemency. To Percy and Rochefort? Yeah, like, we don't believe it, but that's what he says. But Percy and Rochefort go on to have a real bonding time together. No, if you're going to condemn Anne, I could not live. Essentially, they both reject the mercy that's been granted to them, or so they are told Mm -hmm. that it's been granted to them. It's really interesting, because Hervé turns to them and says, have you decided? And they said, yes, death. So they're being honorable. I'm not sure I buy all that, but it's part of the drama. Okay, and so where is Anne in all of this? I mean, are they in the same location? Or how well, they're all they... in the Tower of London. She's been in prison. Before we see Anne, we hear the chorus feeling badly for her, mm-hmm. showing her pity and concern. And Anne will emerge, and she says, well, why are you all weeping? And by the way, in the version of it that I watched, and this is not uncommon, I'm, I alluded to this before, there's going to be a little redheaded girl on the stage mm-hmm. looking regal. Elizabeth. Clearly, mm-hmm. her daughter, Elizabeth. And in the version I watched, she sings part of the song directly to this child who knows it's her mother. Yeah. But this is the mad scene from this opera. She's gone round the bend a bit. Oh, for really? a little while. Well, she has nothing to lose. Well, she's, she, you know, she's just not seeing. In fact, she sings, why are you weeping? This is a wedding day. The king awaits me. The altar is lit up and bedecked with flowers. Oh, I see. Okay, so she really is like disconnected from reality. Oh, yeah. I thought she was and she just really like, going for it. No, no, just, I don't mean mad angry. I mean mad crazy. Well, no, but I mean, I thought like she'd just like given up and was just like frothing at the mouth and no, but no, she's, she's delusional. In fact, okay. She's delusional. And she says, quick, ladies, decorate my hair and oh, sh- don't let Percy know what's happening. So she's, she's lost it a little bit. Her grip on reality has, has loosened. Right. <laughs> and 
she's going to talk about why, why is everyone so sad? And then she's going to sing this gorgeous aria that we're going to listen to. Guide me to the sweet mansion of my birth, to the green plane trees, to the quiet river that still murmurs. And I don't know about you because she's facing death. Mm-hmm. Certainly makes me think of this 23rd Psalm. The Lord maketh me to lie down in green oh, pastures right. and all that. I don't, I don't know. That just popped into my head as right. I was reading this. Makes sense. Makes sense, right? So let's hear a little bit of the mad scene and a little bit of this gorgeous aria from Anna Bolena.
So you can see why this role is said to be punishing. I mean, she's really earning. <laughs> oh. Earning her role here. Absolutely. So after all of this, she sees Smeaton. And she, by the way, she comes in and out of her sort of delirium connection to reality. She sees Smeaton, and Smeaton comes over to apologize to her and say how sorry he is. He says, I let myself be seduced by the king, and I accused you in believing that that would save your life because that's what they told him. Right. And he still adores her. And again, she offers forgiveness to him. And then she loses it again. She's like, Smeaton, oh, look, grab your heart. Play me a song. We're going to get married. It's just so sad. Yeah. It's And meanwhile, this little girl is So is this based this. on historical... I mean, is this what we believe actually happened? That she Well, there was a Smeaton. He was tortured. He was also condemned to death. But do we really think that she sort of lost touch with reality? Oh, yes. It is believed she, the imprisonment, affected her mind badly. I see. Okay. I didn't, I never heard that. I never realized that. That's, belie- I'm, you know, some of this stuff is conjecture, but that's not new to this opera. All right. So we have Anna. Anna's going to sing us out with a couple more songs, and she's going to essentially pray to heaven for peace yeah because she knows that she's gonna die and so her only option is just to not suffer for eternity and then we hear cannon shots and the sounds of bells ringing she snaps back to reality what what do i hear it's a festive sound what is that and everyone says well they're all celebrating the new queen so she's hearing the songs of celebration for the new marriage while she is still alive that's dramatic I didn't feel it. Is that true, too? So he was married before she was actually executed? It's pretty close, but I'm not sure that... Okay, so it was within so. the I, same... I, that, that one, I, I, I don't know for sure okay. the answer to this. But Anna lets us know, again, showing the power and the emotion. She says, ah, oh, they're celebrating. But there lacks, alas, only one thing missing to complete their celebration, and that is the blood of Anna. Wow. I must die to allow this celebration to be real. In her final song, she's going to sing, You wicked couple, I do not call down vengeance on you. I go down into the open grave which awaits me with a pardon on my lips. So once again, the one who shows grace and mercy, and this is how you know, in spite of any ambition she might have had, mm-hmm. Donizetti's heart is with her. Yeah, for sure. That she was wronged by this vile man. It's a pretty different picture than I feel like has been painted of her in other things that I've read or seen. It's a very sympathetic portrait of Anne Boleyn. Mm -hmm. So, shall we listen to her final aria? Yes. And the last words of the opera will be by the chorus who says, the victim has already been sacrificed.
listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.